Hello, welcome to the Olympic Channel podcast. I'm Ed Knowles. This is the place for the best bits from OlympicChannel.com. Brilliant interviews with top Olympians is just simply what we do. This is the place where the games never end. There's no doubt that we're all still aching after Pyeongchang. If you want a personal list, it's backache, heartache, stomachache, headache. But we hope that we can provide the perfect antidote to any post-Olympic woes that you may have. Personally, I've been loving the Paralympics because it's like taking me back to Pyeongchang. I have, in fact, got Czech Republic versus Japan in the ice hockey streaming right now. It's nil-nil. Other than that, I've been catching up on sleep and actually getting a bit of exercise done myself. Oh, I really enjoyed Michaela Schifrin winning the slalom title. That was awesome. Anyway, not much wittering on today, as I think you're going to be a little bit more interested in what we've got coming up in the show. We've been busy. How about one of the greatest figure skaters of all time? I spoke to Yuzuru Hanyu in English. And how about one of the greatest goalkeepers of a generation? We speak to Hope Solo. And how about one of the most amazing stories of Pyeongchang? Freestyle skier David Wise talks pressure, dealing with disaster and his gold medals. Speaking of gold medals, you may have spotted a theme in today's guests. Yes, they are all multi-Olympic champions. But before all of that, here's what's doing the numbers on OlympicChannel.com. The Nagano Tapes. Watch the underdog story of how a bunch of Czech unknowns took on the NHL powerhouses to win Olympic ice hockey gold. Impossible moments. Relive the moment that Japanese figure skater Midori Ito conquered the triple axel. And Sports Swap. Figure skating versus ice hockey. Italy's Valentina Marache and Latvia's Herbert Vasilchevs put each other to the test. Check out the Sports Swap series where Olympians try each other's sports. You can get all of those and much, much more at olympicchannel.com. And if you need to stay up to date with all the news, go to olympicchannel.com forward slash news. Get it in your bookmarks. So Hope Solo is simply one of the best known goalkeepers of all time. A double Olympic champion, she finally got her hands on a World Cup in 2015. So she's won it all. Since disappointment at Rio 2016, the 36-year-old has had to find things away from the football field to take up her time. So she stood as a candidate to be president of US soccer. She didn't win, but she took it in her stride. If you know anything about Solo, then you already know that she speaks her mind. It got her into trouble. And in her own words, she says, I could not be the player I am without being the person I am, even when I haven't made the best choices or said the right things. Olympic Channel reporter Ashley Tullock started off by asking her how hard it was to fill her time now that her playing days are behind her. I trained day in and day out to be the best goalkeeper that I could possibly be and I love goalkeeping. I love training um, and I love those really competitive matches. I think out of anything, that's really what I miss the most. You know, those World Cup games, those Olympic games, those really just nail-biting games, making saves, penalty kicks, um, but also my training environment. I really prided myself on the details of my training. So I really had a transition to find something I'm passionate about off the field um, and something that's challenging because, because I'm such a competitor, I need to be challenged. Um, 
So I ran for the president of the United States Soccer Federation. My passion is to make sure that we give equal opportunity to all Olympians and to all footballers, um, both the youth as well as women. Um, so really, it, it was it was quite the task, quite the challenge, um, a lot of hard work. And I'm proud of the work that we did because we brought a lot of issues to light. Um, and hopefully the new president can really address those issues head on. What was that journey like for you? It's quite, a, quite different to the football pitch, you know, from the soccer pitch, sorry. But for you going into sort of, I guess, more of a, you know, a business model, trying to really fight for what you believe, which I know you've always done, but to be doing that, you know, in a suit and really getting up there and, and giving your opinion, would, did you feel uncomfortable in that space or is that something you are going to continue to fight for? Well, you have to understand, being a goalkeeper, you're always in uncomfortable situations. But that's what made them so rewarding. Um, and that's why I need a challenge in my life. I did fight for women's issues my entire career. I fought for better fields, better stadiums, um, and better you know, doctors and trainers and things like that, and obviously equal pay, which is, is law in America. Um, so I fought for all of these issues as a player throughout my entire career. So it was kind of an evolutionary step for me to fight for these issues now off the pitch mm -hmm. um, and continue to raise these issues and bring them to light. Yes, it was challenging. Um, I learned a lot. I, um, gained, I gained a massive amount of education from, I had to call every state association, every single state association, and I had to understand their struggles and their problems with it, you know, from Alaska to Maryland to, you know, Pennsylvania, every state had their own issues when it came to football, whether it was trying to get the refugees to play in their communities, get the, the Latinos to play, the Native Americans, finding field space, finding stadiums to host soccer tournaments so that they can make money for their state associations. And, and then really finding out that our federation, the United States Soccer Federation, has an obligation as a national governing body to really invest in amateur sports, not just professional sports, not just the Major League Soccer, not just the men's and women's national team, but it's their, their duty to really invest in, in amateur soccer throughout America. And so I realized that throughout all these phone calls, people were really let down. And we, it's inspiring though, you know, it's heartbreaking, at some level, but it's also inspiring that we can make soccer in America even that much better. You talk about these these issues. Um, what are what are your main concerns for women's football or women's soccer at this point? What would you like to see change? My main concern. Well, <laughs> I have a lot of concerns. Um, you know, after running for the president of uh, the federation. My concerns, of course, are women's issues, but realizing that we've really alienated the youth in America and soccer in America has become kind of a rich kid sport, rich white kid sport, that's been pretty heartbreaking for me. Um, so yes, I'm passionate about women's issues and equal pay being federal law in the United States, so we have to abide by federal law and I'll continue to fight for that. In fact, we have um, the claim moving forward with the EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in the United States. Um, so we'll, we'll continue to push those issues forward, but also there's so many other issues we have to address. Our men not qualifying for the World Cup, it stemmed from somewhere, and as you said, you have to go back to the grassroots. And so really just going back to the grassroots and seeing the issues that, that these kids face has been incredibly important to me because I was one of those kids. My parents didn't have a lot of money for me to play football. And you know I was just a little kid from the country, 
and I was able to work my way up, but right now kids aren't able to do the same in America. How do you think that you can, can help with that process then? Well, just running, <laughs> you know, in the election yeah. um, was really important. We had eight candidates and we brought up a lot of these issues and, you know, hopefully we can continue to work with the USOC mm -hmm. um, to make sure that U.S. soccer as a national governing body um, really stays true to its duties for all amateur athletes. And I think that's really important because we can all really benefit from this. Um, we can give more kids opportunities to play the sports that they love. And so we'll continue to really, you know, just hopefully bring awareness and educate people and push these issues forward and continue to fight. It's not easy, but, you know, somebody has to do it. <laughs> Fly the flag. <laughs> you, um, you faced several challenges in, in your career. So what do you know now that you wish you'd known, you know, when you were younger, when you were that young girl fighting to try and be, you know, be Hope Solo? I was quite naive as a young girl, um, maybe a little bit ignorant. You know, I thought the world just worked in this, this uh, roundabout way, you know, just we all put one step in front of the, the other and we climbed our way to the top. Didn't matter if you were a woman, didn't matter if you were a man. I grew up with two older brothers and my father and I watched men's sports. I watched uh, a lot of basketball and boxing and of course football and I just kind of thought the next step for me was I really want to be a professional soccer player and this was in the early 90s and there was no women's professional soccer so I dreamt well beyond what was even possible at that point in time but I just thought that was normal if men can play professional soccer why can't women and so I didn't really understand the issues and the struggles that especially women have mm -hmm. until way later in life so as a young girl I loved being ignorant and naive because I just played with so much heart and passion and it, you didn't have to fight all these issues mm -hmm. until later, until I became more of an adult. Um, so when I look back and, you know, as a little girl, if I could teach myself some, something, does that make sense? If I could go back and teach myself something? Um, I don't know. I just am really proud looking back that I enjoyed sports so much and I enjoyed the game and I don't really want to take that away from any young girl or young boy. They should be able to play freely, and that's what I always did as a little girl. I can see it in your eyes. You, I, I actually feel sort of a lot of, no, honestly, I'm not joking. I can actually feel a lot of emotion from you when you talk about this. And it sounds silly, but it reminds me of what I was like as a little kid, trying to play sport and wanting to be the best. But it becomes more than that, doesn't it? I, and I know I am wrapping up, but it becomes more than that because it becomes about being a person and a woman and wanting to be strong and successful. So just sort of going to the side a little bit, the Youth Olympic Games are coming up later this year and there's there's a lot of pressure when you get to being a big kid and being an adult. Um, but what advice would you have for those young athletes going into sport and, you know, as you say, going in a little bit naive, not having the same sort of, um, I guess, weight on their shoulders? Isn't well, That must be an incredible gift. And what advice would you have for them? Well, what I've seen in particularly in America is a lot of coaches nowadays, we teach these young girls to just play for fun. And I want these young girls and young boys to have fun, but I also want them to embrace being great. It's almost like they don't want to stick out anymore because they're afraid to be great. And I want to tell these young kids, go score goals, 
be great. Do whatever it takes to be the best you that you can be. And it's okay if you stand out. It's okay. It's okay if you're better than your teammates. And I think that's really challenging for young girls these days. Um, so I want to see that. I want to I see it as part of the Olympic spirit. Yes, have fun, enjoy the games, but also embrace being great. Many thanks to Hope and to Ashley. Right, the fervor that greets Yasuru Hanyu is simply astounding. He skates, invariably, he absolutely nails it, and the rink is flooded with Winnie the Pooh toys. He is, quite simply, a figure skating superstar. In Japan, but also in plenty elsewhere in Asia, he is worshipped with a Justin Bieber level of excitement. His performance in Pyeongchang was breathtaking. He took gold in absolute style. And when I met him in person, he's very slight, unbelievably polite and very softly spoken. In a crowded room, would you be able to pick him out? I don't know, but on the ice rink, he's hard to forget. Olympic Channel were granted some very special access to Mr. Hanyu, where he agreed to answer a few questions in English. Being the polite Brit, I started by asking him a simple one. Why does he like ice skating so much? I don't know. Just, just feeling so hard and just feeling like um, unusual when I when I walking walking around when I when I alive. <laughs> so that's a really difficult thing, and it's so hard hard feeling for the for the normalized normal. Aliving, I don't know how to say. <laughs> Do you feel more alive when skating yeah. than when you are in, uh, doing anything else? Yeah, because that's a really hard thing and then so difficult things. So We spoke to some of your fans outside the venue and they've been there in the cold in Pyeongchang for like four, five hours. How flattering is that, that, that they're there just to see you? How... Do you cope with all of that attention? I usually feeling little, little especially scared, cause I haven't seen like kind of me on the of the world. <laughs> so this is this experience. This experience is really special, but. I don't know how to how to use the power for the supporting and chilling from from my fans, but this experience is like so special for me. I think you're doing a good job of uh, of using the power. I think with two Olympic gold medals. I wish everyone will be happy with my result. I'm from England, Winnie the Pooh is originally from England. Would you uh, like to eat some honey one day in the English countryside? Is that something that you would like to, to, to do? If I can, when I, when I um, learned lots for the English. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, that is my dream for the, um, what I am going to the forest for the food. <laughs> Huge thanks, especially for his effort in speaking English. Thank you so much, Yasuru. 
All the wonderful people I met from the Japanese organizing committee out in Pyeongchang. Huge thanks to you. I'm looking forward to working with you all for Tokyo 2020. And also to Yvette at the Olympic Channel, whose hard work pulled off that interview as well. Now, it's easy to look at David Wise at first and make a few assumptions. He's got long hair. He does freestyle skiing. He's a double Olympic champion. But he's also a family man. He and his wife Alexandra were married in 2011 and the couple welcomed their first child, a daughter, later that year. They also have a son who was born in 2014. Ah, okay, you say. I get it. He looks gnarly, but he's a sweet guy. Well, yeah, there is that. But after his win in Sochi, his sister was in an accident. She lost her right leg. He supported his wife through the loss of her father. And they both helped each other as they both lost a grandmother. Add on to that the most dramatic way to win a gold medal. His bindings fell from his skis straight off twice in Pyeongchang, meaning his last run was literally gold or bust. And he did it. And that's where we started off. Man, it's still, it's, I'm still in a state of disbelief, to be honest with you. I think you, you get so caught up in, in trying to stay as closely tied in the moment as you possibly can. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't anticipate what might happen afterwards. I didn't honestly even anticipate what would happen if I landed my run. Obviously, a strategy played into it, and I, and I strategized and tried to plan out doing a run that I thought could win. But uh, when, it, when it came down to, to landing that third run, and I just focused on the run. And when I was standing on the podium at the end of the day, I was honestly pretty surprised, and I still feel that way. I mean, when you were going into the last run, you know, you were in eighth, right? Uh, I was going, in 12th, I think. Yeah? My ski came off both times, so you can't get a lower score than that. <laughs> right? So, I mean, to, to then end up on the podium is, like, kind of crazy talk, right? It's like, what, 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 what were you feeling once you just landed that? What went through your head? Yeah, that's what makes our, our format so exciting. It's, it's a best-of format. It's not a combined score. So, you don't, if, you ha if you make a mistake on your first run or, or, like I did, have some equipment, you know, for me that was un an uncharacteristic equipment failure, um, you know, don't, I don't feel like I really made a mistake when my ski came off and down I went and that's the way it goes. Um, but it's the best stuff. So you get, you can lay it all on the line. All you have to do is land one good run. And, uh, it was just, it was a storybook day for me. I mean, it was, it was, a, I had a really good practice. I was feeling really confident. Um, I think you could see it in my face. I was just smiling. I was enjoying it, but then I crashed twice and I was like, man, I'm really trying to still enjoy this, but this is getting pretty stressful. Um, so it was just a rush. The whole day was a rush, and 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 like I said, having that that surprising ending uh, for me was amazing. I I, I uh, kind of landed my la I landed my third run, and I skied right up skied right up to the, the cameras, and I was staring the judges in the eyes, and I said, "That's game over." And and it wasn't like it wasn't like I was trying to be arrogant and say that's game over to the other people, but for me it was like. There it is. That's what I came here to do. So it's game over. And it, it just was so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, that, definitely. For a man who kind of looks the part when it comes to, you know, freestyle skiing and extreme sports in general. But you're a family man. How does a family man celebrate winning a second Olympic gold medal? Oh, that's a great question. I think... Um... Man, my favorite thing about the Olympics and, and now being a two-time Olympic gold medalist is sharing the gold medal with everybody who supported me along the way. 
So um, I certainly had a few adult beverages with my good people uh, <laughs> last night to celebrate, but I also spent a bunch of time with my kids, and I just let everybody wear and hold and touch and just be a part of this, because this isn't my gold medal, it's our gold medal. And I really, truly believe that in my heart. So um, my daughter wore it around, and we did. A, she went on the media grind with me yesterday, and it was just really, um, it was just a really special time for me. My my kids, my well, Malachi wasn't born yet last time around, um, but Nayeli didn't get to go to Sochi because the, the travel was just a little too crazy. So to have the whole crew here, my wife, my two kids, uh, it was just. It, I don't know if I'll ever be able to match that. It was. It's been such a special year. Uh, Feel, I just feel so supported by them, so sharing that with them was really cool. You suffered a few injuries, a few concussions as well. Um, you know, talk, can you talk a, bit, a little bit about overcoming these kind of physical physical things that you have to do in order to, to get the gold medal? Yeah, the, the reality is in, in my sport, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when you're going to get hurt. Um, uh, maybe it's like that in every sport. The reality is every sport has a physical therapist that travels with them for a reason. I mean, we're, we're putting our bodies to the absolute, we're testing them to the absolute limit. And so you're going to strain things, you're going to have issues all the time. But I had a really rough couple of years where I was just, I just felt like I was at 65 to 85% the whole time um, between the concussions and uh, separating my shoulder uh, back problems. The back problems were, were honestly the hardest because it wasn't like a, a real acute injury. It wasn't something that was like, oh, your back's broken. It was just, well, your back is really not happy with you and I could only rotate, you know, 75% of the amount that I normally would. And in my sport, torsion and rotation is so important. And so I wasn't hurt enough to actually be sidelined, but I was hurt enough that it really hampered my skiing. But for me, I, I look back on that and I'm so thankful for those hard times because um, when you've been through that and you get through to the other side, you have an appreciation for health and, and feeling good that nobody else can fathom. I mean, I, dropping into the half pipe yesterday, I had some ailments, I had some bruises. I even I hit the deck on my last practice run right before the contest and I was like, man, that kind of hurt. But it was nothing compared to how I was feeling last year. So um, it just it just really it, it makes the, the, the struggles, the, the things you get through make you stronger. I think another person I think that is seems to be an inspiration for you is your sister, especially after such a high of winning in Sochi. And then what happened with your sister to have another golden full stop almost is just incredible could you just explain what happened with your sister and what what that was yeah one of one of many things uh on a personal side that happened to me between sochi and and here in pyeongchang was uh my sister was in a boating accident she, she was paddle boarding and she was hit by a boat and lost her leg uh and above knee amputee and all of a sudden we were launched into this whirlwind first of all we were happy she was alive it was it was a, at first it was like she might die this is crazy she's lost a lot of blood she got through that she got through the night the amputation went successfully and um, so there was like almost a feeling of relief that she's alive and then it went into this like acute trauma stage where it was just like every moment was survival for her it's like 
you know, learning how to do things, learning how to do certain things again, learning about uh, what, what the next step looks like, and it was really intense and dramatic. But then there was a long struggle once we got through that early intense stage of adjusting to this being real life again for her. It wasn't just, uh, there was no more acute challenges, there was just a lot more long term can we can we get through this and so it, it was a lot to get through with her and for and uh, being there for her was um, something that I took really seriously and, and there's not a lot that you can do for somebody in that situation either I had to just stand stand by her and say and just honestly I had to keep reminding her I'm happy you're here because one of the main things that I told her right after her accident was hey, it would have been easier for you to die in that boating accident in some, in some senses because then you'd be up there slapping high fives with Jesus, hanging out with my grandparents, like having a good time. And, um, but I'm glad you're still here. So I had to just continue to remind her of that so she, she wouldn't get depressed. And um, so having her down there, she actually uh, was down there on her, uh, uh, on her prosthetic and she was jumping so high she slipped and fell. And <laughs> it's on video. Uh, but she was down there cheering me on. And after all we've been through together, that was, that was so cool. Let's just have a word about the tats then. Have you got inked here whilst you've to a little memory? Is there something that you're taking home on your body? Yeah, I, uh, I really felt like I needed to commemorate the journey to get here because um, I had obviously an amazingly successful trip to the Olympics in Sochi, um, followed by a couple of years of the, the greatest struggle of my life. Uh, and, and came back and, and got, got on top of a couple of podiums and made the Olympic team again this year. So um, Alex and I, uh, when we arrived in Seoul and got our, we got our U.S. team kits, I, I just mentioned the idea of him to him. I was just like, you know what, I th I'm thinking about getting a tattoo uh, just to commemorate, like, we made the team. It's so cool. And uh, he was into the idea, and so we started looking around for things, and we, we just noticed that the Pyeongchang logo was actually really cool looking. So then we looked up the meaning. Both of us were, were really uh, kind of inspired by the meaning, and we just decided that let's do this. Let's make this permanent. So um, I have the, the logo here for forever to help me remember this amazing trip. This looks so fresh. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> it's very dark. <laughs> inspirational stuff how much would i like to shout game over into a camera like he did a lot thanks to david that was really awesome and that is that for the time being we will be back on a weekly basis so make sure you're hitting subscribe and then it'll fly into your phone wherever you are and if you could leave us a nice review wherever you manage to find to leave us a nice review uh, that would be great too please do get in contact just to say hi, but also we want to know who you want on the podcast and why. So get those tweets, Insta DMs, Facebook comments, whatever you like. Our handle is Olympic Channel and we'll have our social media elves go and scoop those up. So any shares as well that you do on social, it really helps us out. So they're always good. Remember to tag us on anything so we can give it a like too. Anyway, we'll be back very, very soon. And as a little clue for who is coming up next time, it's a British cycling hero. No more than that, and we'll have plenty more as well. But that's it for now. Until next time. <laughs>